The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host this time around, joined by James Fox, co-host, senior writer at Future Sox. We are joined by a special guest in Adam Hogue, insider at WGN Radio, and you can also find his work now on NBC Sports Chicago as the White Sox insider. Adam, it is a pleasure to be able to talk to you. We know that you are a big White Sox fan just in general, but now reporting on the news. I think that's really exciting for us because we respect, you know, what you're able to provide in the media realm. So a lot of things that we'd like to touch on today with the future of Major League Baseball in 2020, your consumption of minor league baseball. But before we get into all that, first, well, congrats on the position. And also, we want to know how are you and your family doing under this uh, time of quarantine? Yeah, Mike, uh, James, Mike and James, it's uh, it, it's I appreciate those words, and it's it's good to be with you guys. Uh, excited to have this conversation with you guys. You guys do outstanding work, and um, uh, you know, so far so good with us. I think like everybody, we're going a little stir crazy. Uh, got a little guy who's a five five years old, so uh, you know, teaching kindergarten's been interesting while trying to uh start a new job, uh, here. And, uh, so it's, it's honestly, it's been uh, a couple of the craziest, uh, months of my professional life for sure, but we're getting through it. And I think like you guys, we all wish, uh, we had baseball games to cover right now. I mean, luckily for you, Adam, you've done, you know, all the bear stuff that you've done in the past. You could kind of like seamlessly jump right into NFL draft stuff and do all that football stuff over at NBC sports Chicago, you know, but as you mentioned, you know, you did accept the insider job, like at a time that was just kind of, kind of weird. Baseball was on hold. So what, what specifically can you share with, you know, what exactly um, you'll be doing over for NBC sports, Chicago, like white Sox related. Yeah. So, I mean, I started the, my first official day was uh, the Monday, everything shut down. So I think that was March 8th or 9th. And, you know, that that stuff escalated so quickly that by I think it was Thursday that everything spring training was officially. I, don't, I can't remember if that was the day the White Sox had the off day and then there it was. Yeah, I think that's the day everything shut down. So, you know, even on Monday or even Tuesday of that week, I remember I wrote something. I, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday on 
you know, here's three things the White Sox still have to figure out with two weeks to go before opening day. You know, I was writing about how Michael Kopech, uh, you know, had that outing where he was throwing above 100 and that got everybody excited. And and at that point, I, I, we all knew the uh, the coronavirus was escalating, but I don't think any of us really thought that sports was going to be shut down. I think it was that Wednesday night that Rudy Gobert tested positive and the NBA shut down just like that. And then before you knew it, it was all over. So that was certainly not the first week on the job I was expecting. Um, and really, the every week since is, is just you're just kind of going through it and uh, taking it day by day. So to answer your question, you know, my the the job I accepted with NBC Sports Chicago was the White Sox insider job. And, you know, that was the plan all spring and all summer. And that still is the plan. Um, but because everything was shut down and the NFL was still going, at least with their offseason, with the draft and free agency and stuff, it made sense for everybody involved to you know, have me jump on and continue to, to cover the things that I've been covering with the contacts I have and the knowledge I have of these NFL draft prospects and things like that. So, you know, we're, we're, I I think like everybody in any job right now, we're kind of just going through things day by day and addressing things as they come up. And so far that's uh, been sort of this unique news job for me over, over the last, uh, it's been almost two months now, actually. Uh, in a weird way, this time actually is flying by, even though it seems like it's going so slow in the moment. Um, but honestly, I, I just I, w- I want baseball to come back. And I, I wrote a piece today uh, with Gordon Whitmire, who's the, the new Cubs insider for NBC Sports Chicago, too. Just kind of going over these proposals, how they affect the Cubs and the White Sox. And, you know, hopefully at some point here, we're going to be talking about actual baseball. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to get into that here in a second, but I want to take you back to that, that first week because that's surreal. You know, you jump in and that's the circumstances you're dealing with almost immediately. And I can kind of relate to that because I'll never forget where I was when everything kind of shut down. I was in Glendale and I had been speaking with Scott Merkin, you know, and um, James Fagan. They were all out there and we were talking and gradually it was like everything changed significantly each day. So at the beginning of the week, there was an instance where the media was limited uh, access into the locker rooms. Then they were shut out from the locker room. And then they had to interview players like six feet away. And then the next day was when everything was shut down, which is, you're right, that Wednesday evening happened with the NBA. And then that Thursday, baseball made their dra- a radical decision, the right decision, of course, to, to postpone everything. So now you mentioned the proposals. And there are several proposals being let out. You know, three ten team divisions is the most recent one in which teams are able to play in their own ballparks and divisions are set up regionally. So I'd love to get your take on how practical that scenario is for Major League Baseball. Yeah, so my, I mean, my big question with that one is the most recent proposal is sounds kind of simple. Like, what's the point of it? <laughs> you know, like if if teams are still having to travel. Um, I, I guess I don't really see a huge difference between getting, if you still have to use a plane to get places and the White Sox and Cubs would be in, in sort of a unique spot in that they'd play more games against each other in the same city. And then Milwaukee's within busing range, but everywhere else within that division, you still got to get on plane. So does it really matter how long that plane ride is? I guess the one way it does help things is 
um, uh, they're probably going to be condensing so much season into a short period of time. So avoiding longer plane rides probably allows you to limit off days and get more games in overall. So I'm guessing that's sort of the, the genesis behind that idea. But, um, you know, I, I think it's probably the preference of the players involved to be in their home cities uh, where they, you know, they already kind of have housing set up or have houses that they live in um, as opposed to, I mean, many, many players live in Arizona too, but a lot of the time that's just temporary housing during spring training. That's already expired that they, you know, it, it, either way, this whole thing's going to be complicated though. I mean, I guess that's the point. And I, I guess to me, that's why, whatever the hurdles are, the personal hurdles that these players are going to have to deal with. And I do think the first and foremost important thing from that perspective is they, they should be around their families. Like I don't, I don't, I think that's a non-starter if the players have to be separated from their families in any scenario. Um, but the point is there's going to be concessions somewhere. And no, I think no matter what happens, it's not going to be an ideal situation, especially because I think most likely we're not going to have fans in the stands, at least to start. So to me, that's why whatever the safest plan is should be the thing that they go with. Whatever limits the chances of another outbreak uh, within the baseball community, because the, the thing is, is whatever they start up, they cannot have it interrupted. And that's why the testing is so important. Because if they start up and then everything gets shut down again, we're right back at square one. Yeah. So that regardless of what plan, you know, actually takes effect, and you know, former big leaguer Trevor Plouffe, I don't know if you saw, he just tweeted a little bit ago that you know he had heard from other players that they're talking like June 10th for a second spring training and starting on July 1st, and you know there there were some replies to it basically telling him to not talk about that cuz they're not supposed to share it but you know even if there is baseball of some kind you know a couple of areas where it could help the white Sox potentially they are probably going to expand the playoffs i would think we've talked about it on the podcast a lot you know it makes sense um for baseball to use the crisis to kind of push that through right now so you get seven playoff teams potentially in each league and then also you know the white Sox are going to be a lot healthier if, if they start playing in July, then they would have been like in April. So do you have any thoughts on, you know, how that potentially could help them like in a shortened season? Yeah, I think uh, especially too, because I, I think another thing you're going to see is expanded rosters. And, you know, I, I'm sure there's some teams out there that their depth is potentially a little bit older with more veterans than the White Sox. Cause I think the White Sox depth is young, but when you consider all the additions they made in the offseason, that's kind of pushed some guys farther down. And, I, and I'll even like certainly like a guy like Zach Collins, who sort of doesn't really have a spot, you know, within the probably the 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 26 man roster. But if it goes to 40, could be involved, you know, players like that. I'm not talking about guys that are going to have a huge uh, impact necessarily. But even like, I don't know, especially with the pitching, I would say, um, when you talk about Michael Kopech, who I think health-wise is probably good to go, but still needs some time to get back into the swing of things, uh, maybe from just a developmental standpoint, because it's tough to throw him right back in there where he left off, uh, you know, 18 months ago. Um, But Carlos Rodon, 
can he contribute later on in the season too? I think from a pitching standpoint, even if the depth is young, there is depth for the White Sox and they wouldn't have to reach as deep as maybe some other clubs um, to provide that depth. If we're talking about a situation where there's not a whole lot of off days and you kind of have to rotate players more than you potentially normally would during a, a normal season. So I think that helps the White Sox. Um, you know, I think where this gets really tricky, and I'm sure this is something that, that you guys are really concerned about with what you do, is just this idea of player development and, you know, getting a little off topic here, but like, what does this mean for the minors? But like all the prospects, the White Sox are still trying to groom. It creates this interesting scenario where, okay, maybe they provide depth at the next level that you could use them. Um, you know, maybe some of these younger arms in the bullpen, but is that really best for their development to be playing at the major league level? You know, but if it's the only opportunity they really have to pitch this year, is it best for them? You know, it's just, this is one of the many things that I think this whole, this whole situation is so unprecedented that just like we were talking about with our own jobs, these guys are kind of just going to be going day by day, reacting to whatever's, whatever obstacles are, are being presented as they try to figure out 2020. It's a really good point about, you know, what they would do with like actually with minor league players. And we've had a lot of people on and we've asked and there's been a lot of differing like opinions. But one benefit, I guess, from playing in major league ballparks would be that maybe like all the minor league players could then just be at spring training sites and kind of play games at those fields or on backfields or whatever. The one thing that doesn't make any sense would be like, you know, putting all of your minor league players on ice for a year, basically like that doesn't make any sense at all. Like you're right. Like they're not going to be playing at their affiliates. Like that doesn't make any sense. You can't have fans in the stands. So, you know, minor league baseball probably is done for this season, but like you said, you know, it might change the way they do some things. So Dane Dunning is a guy um, another guy's Jimmy Lambert. They were both rehabbing from Tommy John. We were told, you know, maybe June, July, those guys would be out at an affiliate. Maybe now they're ready and Dane Dunning just like, you know, goes into the White Sox bullpen on an expanded roster or something like that. But yeah, they they will for the younger guys. Those guys are going to have to play somewhere and they might not be official games, um, but I don't think they're just going to be like going back to their home cities for a year either. Right. But I mean, because you got to get these guys ready too. I mean... Um, you, you know, somebody like Zach Birdie, who, you know, is he healthy? <laughs> how, how do you find it out? And, and, and so, and on top of it, these guys have just been sitting at home now for two months too. So, uh, you know, whatever spring training looks like spring training 2.0, um, which, you know, I, I think June sounds like it would be the, the most optimistic, uh, look at, that potentially happening, but um, I, I do think that there needs to be, in some way, Camelback Ranch in Arizona is going to have to be operational, um, and I and I think it will be, but because the, there's going to have to be some type of player development happening, whether the actual major league club is playing games there because of whatever solution they come up with, or if they're in Chicago, which I think everyone ideally w- would prefer that situation. Um, you know, you still got to have some type of some some type of farm system to go to at some point because the, the injuries are going to happen even in a shortened season. And in fact, for all we know, we may see more injuries because of 
whatever whatever spring training looks like and just everybody's out of rhythm and maybe having to to pitch on less rest i mean we we really do not know and and so the baseball really needs to be prepared for everything and that's the one point i do want to make guys is you know i i think a lot of these proposals that have sort of leaked out have been um criticized a little bit like baseball's jumping the gun you know they're, they're just having these discussions they're they're just trying to come up with as many solutions and they are consulting the health experts and they're starting these conversations early because it's a complicated conversation between the owners and the players and they have to have it all figured out it's very complicated so um you know I don't criticize baseball at all for having these conversations. In fact, I give them a lot of credit because one of the things, one of the other things I've talked about is I think there's a lot of opportunity here for baseball to, to, to it's kind of weird to talk about opportunity in such an awful situation, but if baseball can get back to playing games, it can be a very good thing for the sport that I think has been sort of lackluster in the, in the past decade or so. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about ESPN showing Korean baseball games here overnight coming up here this week, there's obviously an appetite for baseball. And if baseball gets featured in a positive way here, even if there's no fans in the stands, it could be really good for the sport. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that baseball has a lot on their plate that they're dealing with, balancing a lot of variables, dealing with the unknown. And let's assume that if these proposals go through and everything is safe, it seems like they're trying for 100 games and whether it's regionally, they're going to separate the the three 10 team divisions. That's fine. Um, But of course more games uh, I think is, is very important here to, to fit in as many as you can. You you don't want to limit it to say 81 because a lot of like, I, I take it to the independent scene and in the frontier league in which I covered for three years, they play 96 games. So you have, a two to three week stretch where you're just awful, you're out of it for the entire season. So uh, when you take that into account, it's it's fascinating to think about all these implications, expanded rosters as well, and expanded playoff format even. So, you know, and like, like you mentioned, it's baseball's responsibility to balance all these variables. Now, when we're talking about the minor league scene, I think it's important to recognize what you said in that, Players need to play. They need to get into a rhythm. They need to see live pitching because how are they going to be able to pluck from the depth in their system if they're just sitting around not doing anything? So whether the solution to come back in a minor league sense is just providing exhibitions you know, across the teams around Major League Baseball, taking advantage of the facilities at Camelback Ranch, for example, because there's multiple fields in the back as well as the actual facility. I mean, just on the White Sox side, I think there's four so, you, you know, there's there's opportunity there, but you're right. Players need to play in the minors to be able to have any sort of impact at the big league level. Now, how imperative is it for baseball to take advantage of this 100 game season? Well, let me start with baseball, first of all. And look, I, I'm somebody that grew up with baseball as my favorite sport. Um, you know, I've kind of grown into covering football over the years and the and, and I certainly love the NFL too, but you know, baseball was really my first love. And so I grew up going to the games and I don't know if it's just a matter of me getting older or, or if they, ba- I mean, this it's proven that baseball games are getting longer. It just seems like the season, even though they they're still playing 162 games, it just seems like the, the seasons are longer than ever. 
even though it's the same amount of games, if that makes sense. You know, the games are longer. It is a grind. It is a marathon. And I know that's all part of what makes baseball great. But I've always speculated sort of more in my own head, but wondered what it would look like if baseball's the baseball season was significantly shorter. And it could potentially solve a number of issues, including in Chicago, how miserable it can be being at a baseball game in April, for instance, uh, with the weather that we have here. And, you know, potentially starting the season later, maybe putting more off days in there. I don't know. Now, this situation this year, there's not going to be a lot of off days because it's going to be condensed into a really short period of time. But the point is, I've always wondered what baseball would look like, what the season would look like if it was more of a sprint rather than a marathon. Now, I'm sure there's unintended consequences like that where, you know, teams are knocked out faster. Um, But, you know, teams get knocked out you kind of know pretty quickly within 40, 50 games too, for some teams, you know, if they're not going to be in it, in some cases when teams are, are purposely tanking, uh, you know, even going into spring training, they're not going to be in it. So, you know, it can be a long season either way. I wonder if a shorter condensed season with some rule changes, potentially realignment, you know, and the one thing I really like selfishly, admittedly selfishly, uh, with this latest proposal, so this idea of 10 Midwest teams being in here, especially the White Sox playing the Cubs more, playing the Brewers more, playing, uh, you know, still being in the same division as the Twins, but, you know, the Twins and the Brewers sort of have a rivalry too, the, getting the Cardinals involved in that. You, I, the storylines to me, as somebody covering this, uh, it, it can be really, really exciting. And, you know, I think ideally you'd play all the teams in baseball, but if it came down to a 10-team division and those are the teams you're playing and battling out for in a short season, uh, I, I'm not necessarily saying it would be the the permanent solution by any means, but I'm just really curious. I don't know about, about you guys. I'm really curious to see what it looks like and if there are any things that come out of it that stick, that baseball says, hey, this was great for ratings. This really created an exciting season, and our fans were more engaged than ever before can we somehow apply this to our normal regular seasons going forward? And I'll give you one example because there's been some talk about how basketball, the NBA has wanted to shift its season anyway to kind of go against the NFL a little bit more and having less overlap starting more like in December when they, they kind of dominate the Christmas calendar and then have it go all summer more against baseball. And that may end up happening here permanently with the NBA. So I do think there are opportunities for these leagues to learn from the situation, try some new things. I think the universal DH is something that could end up being permanent from all this, for all we know. Um, and, and just see what it looks like. I have a, I have a huge curiosity with that. And I, and I hope that we get the opportunity to see some of this. Because I, I've just always wondered, like, what does a short, shorter baseball season look, look like? But it's so risky to just all of a sudden do it. This gives you the opportunity to try it. Yeah, we were joking on a podcast that we did yesterday just about, you know, the Universal DH could help the White Sox because maybe Rick Hahn could trade like three or four guys to National League teams since they have, they have, <laughs> so, many, they have so many first base DH guys in their system that it could ultimately help them. But, yeah, I mean – you know, not seeing pitchers hit anymore, like as an American League fan, is obviously something that that I'm all for, and I think most people would be like after they actually see it. But it might take something like this, you know, to actually like push it into motion. Yeah. So 
you know, they had a big offseason, the White Sox did. Was there any particular move that you were the most excited about? You know, it, it was it, it was weird in that, honestly, I didn't hate, like, any of the moves they made. Like, every single one they made, I was like, wow, that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, not to just pick out the biggest one, but, the you know, the Yasmani Grandal signing was just, to me, so perfect. And I like the timing of it, too. You know, I liked – I got – really this is another I, I don't mean to just com- keep complaining about recent baseball things but I hated the drawn out off season two years ago with Manny Machado and and Bryce Harper like it, it just ruined the excitement that usually comes with the hot stove baseball season and I was just dreading that happening again so for the White Sox to go out and quickly get Yasmani Grandel relatively early in the off season, um, and it was, you know, relatively unexpected. You know, it was kind of a surprise when it came out. Uh, in fact, I think we were doing our our Bears podcast, the Hogan Johns podcast, the, when that news broke, <laughs> and, and we're talking football. And I'm like, what? The White Sox did what? And so, um, you know, I, I just I thought that move made so much sense, uh, not only for the lineup, but at a position where, you know, as good as James McCann was last year, they just – they needed a better defense behind there too. And so, you know, there's one potential downside of this guys though. I don't know if, how realistic that they actually go to an electronic strike zone um, for social distancing reasons here. I, I think a lot of the players are against it, but that would be one thing that would kind of be a negative for the white Sox because Grandel's known for his pitch framing. And all of a sudden you take that out of the equation. Uh, that would be a downside, but I just, I love that transaction since you asked for one. I just think it's such a good addition for the lineup and for the defense and uh, he should be a great fit. For us, selfishly covering, you know, the White Sox minor leagues, this is the year that we figured, okay, the big league club is making moves to compete. If it's this year, outstanding, but you can tell that there's a plan in place where they expect to be around for the, for multiple seasons. And you can just look at the extensions they signed related to their core. They were able to lock up Luis Robert. They were able to extend Yohan Mankata. And a lot of those moves is signified, okay, we're in. We're ready to go. You get a, a Dallas Keuchel as well to add to that rotation, add some stability at the top. But then all of a sudden stuff just happens, and it's at a standstill now. For us as a website, we were really looking forward to this year because a lot of the players that we were covering who were developing across their time in the minors were ready to make their debut or at least have some impact at the major league level. So I'd love to ask you your overall consumption of the White Sox minor league system over the last few years or even across your time as a fan because, you know, a lot of the time past Charlotte, it's kind of set aside. So I'm curious, you know, your, your consumption of minor league baseball. Yeah, I mean, I I just simply don't have the time to watch a ton of it, but I've been following it more than ever. Uh, and there were there definitely were some times I say specifically um, when Mancata was still down in Charlotte, where I was trying to make a point of of watching the the minor league games on my computer uh, wh- when there were opportunities to do so. But um, you know, just following what's happening down there. Look, as somebody that grew up a White Sox fan, this isn't a franchise necessarily known for deep farm systems. So all of this was relatively new to me and I think a lot of fans uh, and a lot of people around the White Sox when all of a sudden 
they went into this rebuild and loaded loaded the, the farm system up because in the past it used to be like you paid attention to the the first round pick from a couple years ago and when he was coming up you know that that's there was only a a few guys that were worth really paying attention to because maybe, and then most times it felt like they were thrown in the trades for other veterans. Um, so it's been really fun. It's been, it's been different and fun to, you know, look at, at lists like your guys's top 30 list and track these guys, track the movement. Um, there've been a lot of good success stories. There's been a lot of guys that have just had awful luck and, you know, keep seemingly going backwards like Zach Birdie and Jake Berger. Um, but, you know, it, it's for, for example, because I've been I have been doing the pre and post game on WGN radio the last two years and every single pre and post game we would do a minor league segment. And I used to produce the the post game shows uh, for the score back in the day. And I don't think we ever talked about the minor league system. So for us to do it every single day on a daily basis um, and the, you know, the white Sox would help by giving us some minor league reports to go off of that at least had the the results. Cause you can't always follow all the games as you're sitting in, at, at guaranteed right field following the big league club. But um, it, I've loved it. I've loved tracking it as much as possible. And um, I just think it's, it's further proof that the, the white Sox went about this the right way, whatever the end results end up being, you know, this is how you do it. This is how you should do it in a rebuild. Is there a player, Adam, that you are particularly looking forward to watching in at the big league level, whether it's Andrew Vaughn, maybe Dane Dunning, Jonathan Stever, even Luis Robert, of course, but anybody in particular? Well, the, the easiest one is Luis Robert, um, because you taught perfect example of following these guys. I saw Luis Roberts, his first spring training a few years ago, um, cause he signed the, you know, the year before and then was basically, uh, you know, still in the Dominican that year. But so he shows up to spring training the following spring and I don't know about you guys, but it looked like the dude belonged right away. I mean, just like size, speed, everything you, you saw the, the, the power, um, and I just got so excited about this kid and immediately, you know, was saying things and I still believe it. I still think he is the most promising of all the White Sox prospects. And, you know, that goes for Mancata and um, Eloy Jimenez. Like I'm talking about guys that came through the system. I always felt like Luis Robert had the, the most promise. So since he's so close to getting there and should be playing big league games right now, that's really among all the things I was most excited about this season, that was number one. And, um, you know, similar to you guys, I'm sure you, you want, you want to see these guys that you've been following so closely as last few years, realize their potential at the big league level. So that's number one, but to dig deep uh, a little bit farther, you know, I was really getting excited about Dane Dunning before he got hurt. Um, and was honestly getting a little frustrated back in 2018. You start hearing about the, the, the soreness in the arm and, I don't know. Sometimes you just, it's probably an overreaction, but as soon as you start hearing that with a prospect, you're like, all right, just get the surgery, get it taken care of, get this guy, you know, speed up the process a little bit. Uh, and I was, you know, somewhat annoyed that it got put off until the spring of 2019 for, before he actually had Tommy John surgery. Um, but that would definitely be a guy that I was excited about that hopefully um, can get back out there this year and, 
I guess 2021 seems more realistic, but who knows, uh, considering what the season could look like if, when Dane Dunning can help because he was really pitching well before he went down. Yeah, Adam, I don't know how often you were in the ballpark with your responsibilities for WGN, but were you there for any of like the more recent prospect debuts? Uh, yes, I was. Um, actually, I was there for all three, if we're going to Moncada, Kopech, yeah, and and um and, and Eloy last year of course last year he his first game was in Kansas City but I was at the one when he when he was back in Chicago the Moncada one was funny because he he's like the the greatest walk of all time <laughs> when he when he finally came up and uh but the Kopech one the, I just remember there being so much excitement and then they had the rain delay which was a killer but yeah I've been in there and and I and I feel like um even though they're just one night, they give you sort of a glimpse of the excitement that was coming this year. And, you know, that's another thing. I'd Like I said, we're going to have to make concessions here, no matter what the situation ends up being. But if the White Sox do have to go ahead and play games without fans, man, that really sucks because, the you know, it's great that you bring those those couple nights up because – those nights showed how much excitement there could be in the building when the team comes together, especially the Kopech night to me. And to not have fans as this potentially all comes together in 2020 in the stands, that that's a real bummer. Yeah, let me just echo that sentiment a little bit, Adam, because I was there for the Dylan Cease debut. It was day where game one of a day-night doubleheader against the Tigers, and it was electric. It was a packed house, beautiful afternoon, and on their feet the entire first inning. And it was kind of a lumpy first inning for Dylan Cease, but you could feel it. Something special was happening. So, yeah, it is unfortunate, you know, considering the fact that when it is a, a packed house at Guaranteed Rate Field, there's it's very hard to compare. Uh, it's unlike anything else. So, you know, with that being said, we're looking forward to the 2020 season hopefully getting underway. And I'm just curious your evaluation, where the White Sox stand right now, how they stack up against the rest of the league, and how serious they can be as contenders this year. Well, I was taking them very seriously. Um, you know, I, I I think that the Twins are still the best team in the division. Um, I like the moves that they made in the offseason. I thought they made their offense even better with uh, Josh Donaldson, um, but they're, you know, they're, they're pitching too. So I, I was struggling to put the White Sox up there or at least coming out and saying, Oh yeah, they're going to beat out the twins. But I thought they were going to be really competitive. And that's another thing I was really looking forward to this season was I thought that twins White Sox rivalry would, would come back. I, I it, the funny thing is, as we've gone into um, this hiatus, we've been showing all the 2005 games on NBC sports, Chicago, and that's involved some writing for the website, just kind of reliving those days. And, and you know, especially in 04 um, and 05, there were a lot of good series against the Twins that I always remember. And then, of course, that spilled into 2008, too, when they they played uh, game 163. So that whole decade, that was a real rivalry. And I was looking forward to that being rekindled this year because I really felt like those were the best two teams in the division. I know the Indians are still there, but I feel like they've fallen off so much that I actually wasn't taking the Indians too seriously. So, you know, I if and when they start playing baseball, I mean, that, that still all applies. I, I think that there um, are some challenges the White Sox are going to have to 
meander through with this um, with such a young team that I guess you can make a strong argument a longer season would have been good because there's probably going to be some development that still needed to happen at the major league level. Um, And maybe those first couple months starting slow wouldn't have been the end of the world. Whereas if you're going to condense the season and all of a sudden, you know, you start slow in the first 20 games, well, that's all of a sudden a bigger percentage of the season and that could kill you. Um, But at the same time, if you start hot, you know, maybe some of that development just goes out the window. You're playing hot, you, you catch fire and all of a sudden you blaze through the thing. So I don't think we really know. But I do think the White Sox are a good team. And especially if we're going to start talking about expanding the playoffs this year, which is something that could happen, wouldn't shock me at all if they get in there. Yeah, so that's the thing that I was going to bring up. Like, I, I was right there with you, I think. You know, I thought they were going to compete in the Central, but I, you know, I kind of think picking the Twins would have been the smart move. And I think Cleveland was going to sell off at midseason. Um, so I, I wouldn't have necessarily, like, picked the White Sox to make the playoffs. But if they're taking you know, 14 playoff teams instead of 10, I think that like greatly improves their chances, especially in, in a shortened season where it's kind of like an all hands on deck approach where you can just throw pitchers whenever, potentially, like we talked about earlier, they're going to have, they're going to have some guys ready that they weren't anticipating having ready from the start. Yeah. And, and guys, look, I, I guess you, you were there. I, this kind of brings the conversation full circle to that first week I started, I was supposed to be flying to Arizona that Thursday and actually get in the building, which I, I, you know, I, I love being there at Camelback Ranch every, usually every year I try to get there for at least a week. Um, so I was supposed to be there and kind of feel all this for myself, but certainly coming off all the reports that I was hearing out of camp, I mean, there was a lot of confidence in there and there was a lot of excitement, not just with the fans, but with the players. And I, I think that there seemed to be a lot of chemistry and I also think, you know, another storyline that we haven't even touched on is is Rick Renteria. That's another thing. I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him finally have a competitive team to manage. I mean, that's been the thing about his managing history. He didn't have a competitive team when he was managing the Cubs. He was going through, the, you know, these rebuild years with the White Sox. And now I think we can really see what he can do as a manager. And I think with the amount of development and positive impact he's had on the development of some of these younger guys, I was really interested to see all that come together this season too. So I think all that stuff can still apply. Um, You know, I think whenever they do return to spring training, they'll pick up where they left off from that standpoint. I think that, I think it's more about the physical getting ready especially for the pitchers more than anything else but there's going to be some rust to knock off here early in the season no question about it but that's going to apply to every team it's not just the White Sox quickly going back to that week of spring training Kopech making that debut he goes you know one two three in the first inning he's throwing multiple fastballs over 100 miles an hour and even the atmosphere in that ballpark at Camelback Ranch that day you could feel it so you know, there's something brewing on the south side of Chicago in that organization, which is really exciting for us as a platform to cover their minor league affiliates, as well as for you, uh, an insider with NBC Sports Chicago. So let's wrap this up here. Uh, I'll give you one final question. Thanks so much, Adam, for your time. This has been really great. How familiar are you following the upcoming amateur draft? There's a few names attached to the White Sox that they're interested in, one being the local shortstop, Ed Howard. Also, a high school right-handed pitcher from Texas by the name of Jared Kelly. Um, 
I don't know if you if you're familiar with any of the names that are linked to the White Sox. However, I'm just curious your take on what you would prefer they do and how they've approached the draft recently is in, has been interesting because you know they went out and grabbed Andrew Vaughn last year. He was the best hitter on the board, and I think that's a no-brainer. But in the subsequent two rounds, they were able to take two young high school pitchers, some prep arms with a lot of upside, and that's something that we really haven't seen the organization do um, in, in quite a bit. So I'm just I'm looking for what you would like to see the White Sox do in this upcoming draft period. Yeah, I mean, in, in all honesty, in, in fact, it was just uh, a couple of days ago, I think, for the first time, I started really digging into uh, the draft a little bit because I was, uh, as we started this conversation with, I was immersed in the NFL draft um, it, for the past month, which wasn't necessarily going to be what I was going to be doing when this whole thing started back in March. So uh, playing a little bit of catch up um, with the MLB draft. So, you know, in terms of specific names i'm probably not there yet to uh, give a opinion i want to hitch my name to quite yet but um you know i'll say this i i i think that um they have shown a willingness to in, in more recent years to you know look at all options and not just sp- stick to one philosophy um sometimes when you have a front office that at the top has been together for so long, um, and this is certainly the case with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, sometimes philosophies can get stale. You know, I think that could apply to the Bulls a little bit, um, you know, over the last decade or so. But what I've been encouraged by with the White Sox, once they finally went into this rebuild, I think that their their philosophies have adapted. Um, And in some ways, I kind of feel like, um, and I hope this is accurate, but it, it seems like it's the case. You know, Rick Hahn probably had a lot of these ideas that he wanted to implement um, and, and and really could as he took hold of this of this rebuild. So, you know, like la- last year, I just you know, Andrew Vaughn was obviously a quick riser. Um, fortunately, I think he showed he could continue that at the minor league level last year because that was a big question mark. But he became so hot so quickly and it wasn't necessarily a position they had to address at first base, but they did it anyway. And I like that, you know, you uh, take the best player available. Um, and I think as you see this young pitching come together at the major league level, why not take a couple stabs at some high school guys, uh, which as you guys said, maybe not uh, a thing that they've done a ton of, but, it, you know, it's not even in the first round. So why not take a couple uh, stabs at that with some guys that are going to take a little bit longer to develop because you're not necessarily going to need them right away. Um, and I'm sure this is something you guys bring up a lot, whether it's, we're talking about guys that are getting drafted now or just continue to be in the system in your top 30 list. You know, more than likely, a lot of these guys are going to end up getting traded. Here's the White Sox enter, enter their competitive window. You know, not all these guys are going to end up playing for the White Sox. They're going to be trade bait. So continuing to build the depth, um, it's not always just about, hey, this guy is going to plug in as the White Sox, you know, X position in three years. It's just get as much talent in the system as possible because you're going to end up spinning some of this off at some point. I think what you said there is is totally fair because I think – like the philosophy point that you made is is definitely true, just as an observer. But you also take into account, if they're going to take a stab at a younger player, the depth 
that they have in the system already allows them the opportunity to give that player time to develop because at the big league level, you figure that these spots, at least positionally, are filled over the next two to three seasons by some pretty stable, steady players. So that's that's really exciting and, and really interesting to keep an eye on as the amateur draft is still scheduled for June 10th. Baseball potentially could be returning in that same time frame should it you know, get approved. Players Association have to do all this stuff as well, and maybe baseball is back in July. So selfishly, we can root for that, and obviously, hopefully, everybody can be healthy. Adam, thanks so much for this conversation. We really appreciated having you on. Don't be a stranger. Oh, yeah, no problem. It was fun, guys. And, uh, man, hopefully we'll have some baseball to talk about soon, and we can do this again. That's Adam Hogue of WGN Radio as well as NBC Sports Chicago, White Sox Insider. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Hogue. For James Fox and the aforementioned Adam Hogue, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. Go to anchor.fm slash Future Sox. Check out our entire library. We are also on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Look for us, rate us, and give us a positive review. We really appreciate it. We will talk to you all next time.